0: Not too long ago, we looked at the first few chapters, uh, or first chapter of Colossians, and we studied this passage that I want to read to you today, and I won't do what I normally do. I won't take this passage and take it verse by verse and explain it today, uh, which is abnormal for, for me. That's not the way I like to to, to teach and preach, but today I want to take the notes that you've got on your on your tables and kind of walk through those as quickly as we can and see if we can See if we can get through them today and leave with some practical um, applications of, of how, to, how to live this out in the world. But let me, to, to kind of give us context, to remind us of where we are, let me read for us Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15 through verse 20. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This passage uh, talks about Jesus, but it takes us back to creation, saying, as we have studied uh, here not too long ago, that, that Jesus was there, that everything was created through him and for him. And then it makes the connection that the one who created us and designed us is the very one that has redeemed us and reconciled us to himself. And not just us, but through us, all things, whether in heaven or on earth, all things. And uh, the, the application of that is what I want to spend some time thinking with you t- about today. What it would mean for all things to be brought under the rule of Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed, that he will come and set up his kingdom in full, complete the work that he started, and that he's called us to be about that work now, first and foremost, by spreading the message of the gospel and seeing people come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. But then, just like we were designed to be the images of God, the representations of God in the world, that it it does apply to people, first and foremost, but then through people— how we develop creation, how we relate to others, the structures, the institutions that we set up. So let's talk about this thing that we call culture for just a few minutes together today. Let's start here in the outline of why do we care about culture. I've introduced the idea, but let's just go through these points really quickly. A, the fact of culture is the fruit of creation. Um, if there have been no sin... ...there would have still been culture. Adam and Eve were to take what was good in the garden... ...and to develop it, to cultivate it... uh, ...in such a way that, that all that was good of the garden... ...would spread throughout the whole earth. So culture is not bad in and of itself. Culture is just the stuff of creation. And we see, even in the pictures of where things are headed... ...in Revelation and in passages like Isaiah 60 and 65... ...you see cultural artifacts being brought in to the heavenly city. So we have no reason necessarily to believe that things are just going to be done away with and it's just going to revert back to some pre-city time period when Jesus comes back. But he's going to reconcile all things to himself. I have no idea exactly what it's going to look like. But culture itself is not bad. It's the fruit of creation. B, the corruption of culture is the fruit of sin. We talked about it last week. Um, What we care for, the creation, has been corrupted by what we hate, sin. And if this is the fact, then we should grieve and be angry that this has happened. Uh, As it does grieve and anger our creator, that his creation, his world, has gone wrong and been corrupted. So we should care that our, our culture is corrupted. See, the stewardship of culture is the responsibility... ...of human vocation. What we're called to do... ...whether it's in our homes... ...or whether it's in the workplace... ...or whether it's uh, in the city... ...or wh- wherever it is... ...whatever we've been called to do... is it's the stu- ...we've been given the stewardship of this culture. We're either going to help heal the world... ...or undo it by our actions. This cultural mandate... ...to be fruitful and multiply... ...fill the earth, subdue it... ...rule over God's creation... ...has not been negated just because sin has entered the world. We're still supposed to do that. D, in the midst of culture is the context of personhood. By that we just mean you're going to come of age as a Christian... ...in the midst of a cultural reality. You will inescapably be a product of the culture you grow up in... in, ...and that's okay. God is big enough to handle that. A lot of times you hear in conversations... Well, if we could just go back to this time period. Or, man, I, I hate to think of what our next generation is going to be uh, you know, exposed to. And, and, and there are valid concerns with that. But the truth is we all come of age. We all grow up. We all become a Christian in the context of a cultural reality. And God is big enough to use whatever that cultural reality is and you in the midst of it to bring about his redemptive purposes. E, the renewal of culture. Is the trajectory of divine action. My wife makes fun of me for using the term trajectory. I love that. I love that word. Uh, the renewal of culture is where things are headed. Grace doesn't destroy but repairs nature. Grace isn't opposed or is opposed to sin but not creation. That's what we read about when we read verses like Colossians 1.20 that God is in Christ reconciling all things to himself. And we are called to be agents of this reconciliation, God making his appeal through us. All that to say, in this first point here, why do we care about culture? Well, because God does. It's a, it's a part of creation, and it's been corrupted by sin. And so, we um, at our base level need to be, have our affections and our, our, our hearts and our minds uh, oriented by the Word of God of how do we think rightly and engage the culture in which we find ourselves in. So then the question comes, number two, what do we mean by culture? We throw that word out all the time, don't we? Um, of, well, it's just, you know, it's part of our culture. What do we mean when we talk about culture? And let me just prepare you. I'm hopefully going to disillusion you and make you feel like there's nothing we can do. And then I'm going to bring to bear uh, what Jesus has to say and hopefully give us some, some hope as we leave here. But let me just paint a picture of how difficult it is to understand and navigate change in our culture. A, culture is inescapable. We just talked about it, but we must quit talking as if this culture is something out there that doesn't affect us. And realize that we are a product of our culture and an active part of it. Uh, we like to try to remove ourselves somehow and, and condemn what's out there in, in the culture. But the truth is, we actually are an active part of it, and we contribute to some of the bad things that we like to critique and condemn a lot of times. It's inescapable, you're a product of your culture. B, culture is historically mediated, meaning that culture doesn't just fall out of the sky. It's something that's handed down to us through a natural movement of history. Working with young adults for about three and a half years here at First Presbyterian Church, uh, that was one of the biggest things that I, I had to learn and I had to help others, other young adults learn, was, listen, we're, we're not, as a younger generation, the, the first ones to ever think about whatever idea it was. Uh, it tend, I tend to do that. I tend to think, well, man, I've got this great idea. Nobody's ever thought, of, thought about this. Let me try to set, set things up here, and then I'll have some older, more mature believers come alongside and say, oh, Eric, you're not the first one that's ever thought about this. You're not God's gift to this earth. Um, you know, you, you're part of a story and God's been weaving it for, for generations and generations and generations. And then now here's your part to play. And if you don't understand where you've come from, you can't begin to understand or think through rightly, what is your part going to look like? Um, how do I talk to and engage people that have come before and the people that will come after? Um, because we're all part of this bigger story. See, culture is complex. It's a network of ideas, institutions, and actions. What I found is that we tend towards one of these three. We tend to think of and like, like, especially when we think of change, we like to to focus in on one of these and not consider the other two. But culture is, is ideas. It's how we think or how we believe. And people that that really get behind these kind of uh, of things uh, or this this kind of thinking with if culture is, is mainly made up of our ideas, if we can just think rightly about things, then all of a sudden change will happen. Um, then people of this kind of camp usually try to be about worldview boot camps. You know, how can we just change people's worldview, do you know, thinking rightly and then everything else will change. And we need to have good worldviews. Don't hear me don't hear what I'm not saying. That that's part of it, but it's not all of it. It can lead by itself to idealism. It's also institutions. You know what are the structures or the avenues for change in, in a culture? Culture is par- partly institutions. People that focus just on this one tend to think of change as if we can just change the institution. If we can just get the right political party in office, then things will just change. The right institution. Um, pe- this can lead to to what we can call materialists. But institutions are a part of it. Thirdly, actions. What we do. What are our habits? And habits play play a part. But if you just focus in on our actions, then our approach to change can be, well, we just need to do behavior modification. Or we just need to get the right laws in place to keep people acting in the right way and to keep the lines drawn, and then change will happen. All of those things, in and of themselves, are true and, and not bad unless they're taken by themselves. Uh, Culture is actually all of those things. It's ideas and institutions and actions and habits. And that leads to D, that culture is dynamic. You can't do the the chicken-egg thing with the complexity of culture because ideas and institutions and actions are mutually informing and reforming. Our ideas, what we think about things, inform what kind of institutions we set up which then inform what kind of actions uh, we, we take or what bi- behaviors we um, pursue, a- and vice versa. We can think about it like this. When I was engaged to my wife, I had a specific idea of what marriage was all about, and then I got married. I entered into the institution of marriage, and it was not what I expected. And my habits needed to change from what I had expected and had an idea because my ideas had been changed as I entered the institution. And as my habits changed, uh, all of a sudden I realized as I did this thing, that's not the thing to do. That habit needs to change. And that affected how I thought. It. So it, it, was, it was all mutually informing and reinforcing. And the same thing happens in any kind of, of, uh, of culture, where it's a culture of marriage or a culture of a church or a culture of a city those things are always changing and, and, and forming and re- reforming each other. So it's dynamic. It's not like you can just throw a dart at something and hit it. It's a moving target, always. And lastly, culture is normative. It provides two things. First, structures of plausibility, just meaning what is possible. What is possible is, is determined largely by the culture around us. For instance, a hundred years ago, if you had found somebody on the street and you had mentioned to them, well, do you think, you know, that we'll have an African-American president, they would have looked at you like, what, what are you talking about? That's not possible because the culture, it didn't allow for it. Today you go on the street, of course that's possible. It's part of our culture, part of our where we find ourselves. A hundred years ago, being influenced by a global market didn't make sense. Nobody knew what an internet was. I mean, the idea of the ability to communicate the way we can instantaneously around the world was was unintelligible. It didn't make sense because of the culture that you were growing up in. Uh, But it's not only our structures of what is, what's possible, but also structures of obligation of what we ought to be doing. What we ought to be doing is conditioned largely by the culture we grow up in. In other words, think about it this way. Fifty years ago... Um, how would recycling have been understood? Definitely not as as an obligation that is kind of accepted today. Um, my wife and I, we we put things in bins and we drive it all the way in to to, to down here off of Seventh Street to the, to to do it. And it, some you know some of our friends are like, "What are you doing?" Well, it's it's something that we feel like that's part of how we, you know, contribute to to what we've been called to do as as uh, stewards of creation, but it. My parents didn't think that way. It wasn't seen as an obligation. Maybe something good to do. Um, so our culture sets what, what our, what's possible and what we ought to do. So here's the definition for you. See if you like this. Culture is an inescapable, historically mediated, complex, and dynamic network of mutually reinforcing ideas, institutions, and actions that provide normative structures of plausibility and obligation for its inhabitants. That's right. <laughs> if somebody asks you what culture is, you just tell them that. Right? Um, you have to probably bring it out of your pocket to read it. Uh, it's, the point is this. To us, for us, for me to think about making a change, an effective change in my culture, seems overwhelming. When you think about it in those terms. I, as one person, this may rub you the wrong way. How can I ever enter that? And make a difference. Now that you feel down and disillusioned, let's move on to uh, three and four quickly. Number three: What what do people do to engage culture, especially that kind of complex and complicated thing that we just discussed briefly? Well, there's there's basically three different responses. You've got them there on your outline. First, we would call the avertive response, which would just mean you know I'll fortify. From the culture i'll I'll try to get in a little bubble and keep what I've got so that I'm not influenced negatively or positively by what's out there, um, which we've already talked about is a little bit mistaken to think you can actually withdraw from the culture you're actually part of it, whether you like it or not, but that avertive response it 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 comes out in the ways we handle it. We can condemn culture, which a lot of times we do, and again sometimes rightly. We need to affirm the things that are good and resist the things that are not. And that's got to be informed by God's word. But we can condemn the culture or we can critique it, which in itself, neither one are are, are bad if, if it's specific things we're talking about. But that won't bring about change. Just critiquing and leaving it at that or just condemning parts of it and leaving it at that will not bring change. Secondly, be there. The acquiescent response is the idea of, well... I can't beat it, so I'll join it. Um, I'll consume culture. And sadly, many, many young believers these days are are consuming a whole lot more than what we read in the Scripture would make us comfortable. We don't don't do enough critiquing and condemning the things that we uh, find in our culture. A lot of times we just consume it. Or you'll find in Christian circles... That will copy culture. We'll find something good out there, and we'll make a Christian version of it. We'll Christianize it. We'll, and, you know, add, somebody used to talk about um, back in the '80s with con- contemporary Christian music. They had a Jesus quotient. That the, the way they decided if a song could come on the radio was how many times does it mention Jesus in the song? And all of a sudden, that made it okay. You could you take a, a song that sounded just like a secular artist. Words were very similar, but then you'd add your your twist to it, and you'd. You could be a Christian artist. So it was copying the culture. But then there's another, another response, uh, and it's called the formative response. And that's the one that I would say is most biblical by the things that we've studied. Because that's where we say, hey, you were made to create and to cultivate. You're, you're made in the image of God. That's what he was about. And as, you, as his image, that's what he's put you on the earth for, to create and cultivate his good creation. But even then we need to be careful because you can do it in a triumphalistic way where we think, as I mentioned earlier, I'm God's gift to earth. I'm going to go do this thing by my own strength and in my own way. If you do that, you'll be disillusioned and discouraged very quickly because you won't make the impact that you thought you could. Or the last thing there's an um, in, in under letter C, the cruciform, or what we might call the hopeful realism. Seeing culture for what it is complex how by myself what can I do but God you are doing it you've said in your word Christ is reconciling all things to himself so in your strength and in your power you're telling me something can be done here to effect positive change but it's not in my own strength it's got to be a different way so how do we proceed what are some practical things that we can be about I've got them listed for you there Um, first of all, cultivate the whole gospel. We talked about it in here. Hopefully, in whatever church you attend, you hear these things, that the whole gospel story is presented, that you hear how things were designed in creation, that you hear very clearly what sin is and how it's affected God's good creation, but that you also hear redemption, that Jesus Christ has come, purchased salvation, and inaugurated His kingdom, but that He's coming again, and he's preparing to complete the work that he started to bring to reconcile all things to himself. That, that's, that's how we proceed. We start with cultivating the whole gospel. Secondly, cultivating a cultural understanding. We've got to understand what's, what we're part of to begin to engage it rightly. I'll move on from that one quickly. C, cultivating a counterculture. Now, what I'm talking about here isn't what I just described with CCM Music. Of just baptizing, you know, secular stuff and, and with a few Jesuses and making it Christian. What I'm talking about is as a church, we need to tell the story of Scripture and thereby define new structures of what is possible and what is an obligation for people. The church has lost its ability in many cases to, to be excited about. And to tell the Christian story, the story of this Bible, as true, as real, as appealing, and as an alternative for what we might find in other places in our culture. We've got to learn to tell it in a way that is is real and and, and that has real life application. So when we read a a story of Jesus uh, calming the storm, it's not just, the application isn't just, well, what storm do you have in your life? But it's really, Have you gone through a tornado? Jesus is there. He controls nature. He can rescue you. It's real life application. The the scripture is not detached, it's real. Um, Cultivating a counterculture in the world. Uh, Again, the idea of the renewal of culture is the trajectory of divine action. That grace doesn't destroy but repairs nature. That it's supposed to sin, not creation. This means we're actively and strategically involved in parent-teacher organization, um, in how our transit stations are arranged so that injustice isn't done, in law students and med students and day-loan businesses and arts and theater and music. I uh, heard a story in, in, uh, in Richmond, Virginia, of, of a church similar to, to this one who found out that the, the local day-loan um, businesses were charging some crazy percentage of interest. Something like 70% interest. Something that basically, as soon as somebody got a loan, they were indebted and they couldn't, they were never going to be able to get out of it. And so, people that were already being on hard, already finding themselves in hard times were running to these day loan places and then being enslaved and being, and there's no way they could ever get out of that. So, that church said, This is wrong. <laughs> this is from the principles we learn in God's word, this is just wrong. It's an injustice. What are we going to do to fix it? Well, they didn't just organize a march or whatever else or draw attention to it like that. They actually said, well, do we have any lawyers in our congregation? Do we have any law students that may can, as a practice, can work under a lawyer and help us develop some some laws that would help ban this kind of thing? And they actually did. Over a period of a couple of years and talking to the right people and working through it, they developed legislation that got passed in the city government to to ban this kind of thing. Well, then they found that these people that needed loans now had nowhere to turn. So they said, well, we can't just leave the people in need without a place to turn. So they said, well, what, what kind of financial do people what financial gifts do we have in our church? How can we set up a way for people to get um, fair financial loans and then be able to pay them off in a respectable way? So. They basically took on a problem, and they realized it was so much more complex and complicated than they ever imagined. And it took so much longer time than they would have ever wanted it to take to, to, to bring a solution. But they said, we can't just sit by and watch. We've got to engage with our culture and provide an, an alternative. But we can do that in any sort of way, in any of these areas. And I'll start with this one. C C, C of number four, and it's, it's highlighted there for you. Cultures change, and let me explain it real quick. Cultures change when elites read influencers in the network partner together to create and cultivate new vision for the good, ideas, new institutions for the good, and new habits. Here's where I want to go with this by ourselves, we can't do much. All the great movements of change in culture that you study. Even though it may look like one person did it, you start to study it and you see there's a whole network of like-minded people that were working together, informed by God's word for whatever issue it was, whether it was slave trade or whatever it was, to say, hey, this is wrong biblically. Informed by the word of God, let's work together. We're like-minded. Let's work together to see change come, knowing that it's not going to be easy it's going to be complex and complicated and probably take ten times as long as we ever would have imagined. But that we can be committed to this. And by doing so, we can take part in what Jesus is up to. Reconciling all things to himself. Because he's made peace by the blood of his cross. That's where things are headed. And by joining arms together and working for some of these things in your places of business. In your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, you can see effective change being brought over the long term. Quick change probably won't last very long. Any kind of change that's worth doing will probably take some time and some disappointment and discouragements. But together we can leak arms, trusting and and, and dependent upon Jesus and his strength and his guidance, guided by his word, to see some of these all things reconciled to Jesus. Let's pray. God give us encouragement and hope. Yes, help us to be realistic about things, about how change can come in our world, in our community, in our family, in our church. But God help us to also be hopeful, knowing that you are committed to it. You're reconciling all things to yourself. And God, ultimately that starts with people whose hearts are bent on rebellion against you. For you reaching down and touching their hearts and calling them to yourself, regenerating them, making them alive again, helping them see their sin and to repent and to turn from it. And so, God, in, in, in light of that, if there's any here that may not know you as their Lord and their Savior, then I pray first and foremost that that would happen today. Pray that they would find somebody before they leave to discuss that and make that right before you today. And then, in your strength... Joining arms with like-minded believers that we would work to see uh, effective change made for your honor and your glory, not our own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.